welcome back to the Fish Like a Girl podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Hey everybody, I am here with Stephanie Boismanu from the Oneida County Land and Water Conservation Department. We are going to talk about invasive species today. As everyone knows, I'm a little bit of an invasive species Nazi, but that's just kind of, that's just the way it is. Um, so Steph is the one that takes care of all of that good stuff for Oneida County and uh, happy to have you here today, Steph. Thanks for, well, thanks for being on. Thanks, invasive Nazi. Thanks for having me. I guess I'm called, I guess I'm called the weed lady, you know, so. Oh, all right. Cool, cool. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is my first podcast, so I'm really excited to that you're the one um, interviewing me with this. So it's fun. I'm excited. Awesome. It should so, be fun. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So let's, I guess, start from the very basics for people that may not know, like, what is an invasive species? Why Why yeah. do I care? What makes it invasive and invasive? That sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So I'll walk you through all of that. So what is an invasive? So um, many people, people have heard the terms native, non-native, invasive in the context of plants, animals, and organisms that live here in the North Woods. But the meaning of those words can be, uh, can be confusing as well as how their differences impact the health of our natural resources. So with that being said, let's start by defining the three terms, which is native, non-native, and invasive. So an invasive species is a species, plant, animal, or organism that has evolved and adapted to a specific area or region. Um, within its native range, it provides beneficial ecosystem services, and they have the predators and competitors that keep them in check and balance. Okay. So, on, so in regards to lakes, each freshwater ecosystem has its own dynamic community of native aquatic plants, animals, and organisms, and all that good stuff that all interact as a functional unit within that ecosystem. Okay. Uh, and they have adapted to one another over thousands of years, giving each species a place and a role. Um, and they've got this great network of survival, codependency, energy, you name it. So these species are crucial to our, the health of our lakes ecosystems. Okay. Uh, but there are some native species that some folks tend to think have in space of species tendencies. For example, large purple bladderwort and water shield. I get calls about that all the time. There's an overabundance of this gooey stuff in our lake and it <laughs> typically, typically is large bladderwort or, or how come, how come I have this big field of these plants out in front of my, in front of my waterfront and it's just suddenly taken off. And I don't like swimming through it because the underside of leaves are slimy. Well, that's water shield and uh, okay. <laughs> they're native plants. They're part of our ecosystem. So we need it. So that's native. So non-native is when a species that has originated somewhere other than its current location has been taken out of its native environment to where it now lives. So they're okay. often labeled exotic species as well. So unfortunately, a species that's brought into a new environment beyond its natural historic range may have a variety of outcomes. Um, sometimes a native species may not thrive in a new environment. Um, they may lack food sources, habitat, unsuitable climate, et cetera, et cetera. And other times they can become very aggressive. So that's what leads us then into an invasive species, which is that non-native species that has come into an area and created this complex war of survival for native species. And we're talking about both freshwater and terrestrial habitats. Okay. So 
in Wisconsin, Wisconsin defines an invasive species as a non-native species whose introduction causes or is likely to cause economic or environmental harm or harm to human health, which is very true. Okay. That like a lot of a lot of us anglers, when we think about something like that, we think maybe Eurasian water milfoil or or mm-hmm. something of, of that nature. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, the mm-hmm. stuff that really takes over and all Absolutely. of a sudden you can't even get through a bay where, where you used to catch it's, fish before. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So, so when that non-native species is outside of its natural range, they have the ultimate competitive competitive edge over a native species because they basically wave goodbye to those predators and competitors that keep them in check and balance in their native range. So without those checks and balances, that's what gives them the upper edge to thrive, reproduce rapidly, aggressively outcompete native species and invade the natural areas. And that will reduce the number and abundance and diversity of those native habitats and ecosystems. So they're basically just big bullies. Absolutely. Basically (laughs) big bullies. And those big bullies, every time they change an aquatic ecosystem that disrupts the delicate processes that keeps those uh, uh, ecosystems in balance. Okay. So, yeah. Um, so how did they get here? Well, humans, we're, we're just, the, we're just <laughs> the, the idiots. I mean, we've been bringing invasive species into the United States and North America for as long as man has been coming here. So, sure. you know, way back when uh, pioneers were coming here from England, they had their animals and their bales of hay to feed the animals. And then the bales of hay were maybe weed seeds that came here and became invasive, you know, simple things like that. Other, other times invasives come uh, by way of water, which is what I deal with, with aquatics and um, the ballast water, um, wherever that, that ship is in port, getting ready to come over to the United States, it has to fill up that ballast tank with the water surrounding it so whatever's being sucked sucked up into that ballast tank is being contained in that in that vessel and then it's coming over the united states going through the great lakes and then once it gets to port it has to discharge that water so then those invasive species are now free to roam hey we're without our predators competitors so um that's what gives them the upper hand yeah (laughs) well and and it seems like mostly it's it's not like you know, like, and I've never seen you like be a finger pointer, be like, oh, humans, it's all your fault. But it's, <laughs> it's kind of, it's almost by accident that, that most of this stuff happens and, and just people not understanding or knowing what the exactly. ramifications are. Exactly. It's very unintentional, but there are sometimes intentional, but it's mostly unintentional. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. And it's not just boaters, but sometimes you get species like crayfish or snails that may have been in a science class and they've just reproduced too much and the teachers didn't know what to do with them. So they just <laughs> took them to the nearest creek and dumped them out. So, you sure. know, it's just education. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, when, when we look at the state of Wisconsin, where are the, the most invasive species? Is that is that more of a population centered thing or like a climate centered thing or... They're everywhere. They're they're, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. So um, popular ones in Wisconsin, as far as terrestrial, um, is like the garlic mustard and spotted knapweed. Then we've got in the wetlands and along our shorelines, we've got purple loosestrife and the non-native Phragmites and the Eurasian water milfoil. So wherever a seed can attach to um, or a rhizome can attach to, it's going to potentially spread anywhere. So one quick side note to that is in Oneida County, we have a Phragmites site that is on Highway 8, and it's down in a drainage ditch area. Mm-hmm. And 
I'm pretty sure I know how that Phragmites site got there. And that is about three years before it was found, a new power line was put in in that area. And I'm pretty oh, okay. sure, yeah, I'm pretty sure that that equipment that put in the power line may have had some dirt that contained a Phragmites seed or part of a plant or something that was stuck to the tire or some part of the equipment or underside of, of a truck or whatever. Anyway, it deposited there and, and that's how it started. So, wow. Okay. Yeah. That makes, at least that's that my, sense. yeah, at least that's my theory. So, yeah. Sure. <laughs> now, when, when you look at the Northwoods, like Oneida County, where you, where you are and, and mm-hmm. we're, where everyone fishes, I'm sorry, everyone fishes in Oneida and Vilas County at some point. Um, yeah. What are the, the biggest issues there with, with invasive species? Are there certain ones that are real hot button ones or that are kind yeah. of everywhere? Or? Yeah, so the Chinese mystery snails and the banded mystery snails are everywhere in our waters. Okay. Um, and I have found them in really remote areas in the county as well. I'm like, what the heck? How did this thing get here? I'm, you know, <laughs> 20 miles from the closest water body. And here it is. And I had to portage into this lake, you know? So yeah, seriously. So they've been around for a long time in our lakes. Rusty crayfish, rusty crayfish are a huge issue as is the purple loosestrife and Eurasian water milfoil and the yellow iris. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. The rusty crayfish especially are a problem for our fisheries right now, as well as the Eurasian water milfoil. Okay. No. Speaking of rusty crayfish, okay, mm-hmm. what, I mean, and, and just so everyone knows, Steph is, is quite an avid fisherman herself, but, mm-hmm. you know, we, like, bass anglers, we're like, oh, we want to imitate a crayfish, we want to imitate a crayfish, and so that's what mm-hmm. we think, so how do rusty crayfish, like, change a fishery, and, and why are they bad versus the good ones? Mm-hmm. Right, so they are not from this area, they are native to the Ohio River Basin, and they were likely brought to northern Wisconsin via bait buckets and by uh, from the transient anglers, as well as the bait shops and the restaurant trade, believe it or not. So being an really? audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, hey, you should try a rusty crayfish boil. And you know what? That's a side note. That's a great way for a lake association to get rid of them um, is to have a crayfish boil. Anyway, um, so rusty crayfish, they are this really bratty, bully, aggressive creatures um, that have reduced the native crayfish populations by taking over their habitat. They eat fish eggs. Uh, they reduce the aquatic plant abundance and diversity at alarming rates. They are just like lawnmowers for our um, <laughs> for our aquatic plants. Yes. So thereby reducing that aquatic vegetation, you're reducing the habitat area for the fish to hide in and and you're also reducing spawning areas and that's because uh, a rusty crayfish when it eats the aquatic plants it reduces the fisheries and overall quality of the lake but the domino effect is the aquatic plants that it eats they provide the habitat for the fish and other aquatic animals and they prevent erosion so by damaging underwater habitat the fish lose their spawning areas and fish and wildlife Yeah, they also lose the wildlife, the fish and wildlife also lose their protective cover and their food sources. So, um, and also fish and waterfowl that normally eat the native crayfish tend to not like these little nasty, rusty crayfish. (laughs) They they do eat them though. I mean, they're really exciting to watch. And if you were 
a, a fish, I'd be like, wow, that looks super awesome. I'm going to go after that thing, you know? <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but they've got these little pinchers uh, that are hard on my feet when they pinch them. Um, I can't oh, imagine what they're, absolutely. yeah. I mean, have, have you ever been pinched by a rusty crate? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, actually trying to pick one up. I was like, oh, let's see what this, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's little lightsaber sword claws. They're just right. like flinging everywhere. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And, so and I think it's just, just the natural curiosity. I was like, well, really how hard can these things really, really pinch? Well, they can pinch pretty hard. They do. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Now let's look at some some weed things when, when we're talking about yeah. you know the rusty crate fish eating weeds and Eurasian water milfoil. I think everybody has heard at least heard of it and been like, yeah. okay, this is a problem. But like, yeah. if you're looking at like we like to fish weeds, well, why is Eurasian water milfoil something that is not what what you want in the lake? If I mean, mm, oh, yeah. we want some weeds, but we don't want that. Can you explain mm. to people why that is the case? Sure, sure. Well, first of all, Becky, have you fished in a lake with Eurasian water milfoil? I might have once. Once? Oh. <laughs> no, I have. I totally have. <laughs> yeah, I know you have. I have too. So like Hancock Lake and Oneida. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Those lakes, boy, boom, your, your motorboat will be stopped dead in its tracks because the milfoil just clumps right up in your prop and it's just a pain it's yep, just for sure frustrating yeah <laughs> so oneida county has 36 water bodies with milfoil there's over 400 water bodies throughout wisconsin with the eurasian water milfoil okay. and it impacts the environment and the economy so it's an emergent plant that grows in a wide range of water depths from shallow water all the way to water depths of about 18 from there it grows up to the water surface and it forms these really dense mats on the surface um, okay. and it invades not just lakes but rivers and um, all kinds of different types of waters from brackish water to clear waters um, and it thrives in areas that have been disturbed by human activities and natural events so there again do not pull your native plants because if you've got a lake with Eurasian water milfoil in it and it's now got a disturbed area and lack of native plants boy it's going to put its feet down there and just really have a great time so oh sure those so, now yeah. habitat too Eurasian mm -hmm. water milfoil doesn't it doesn't create the same kind of habitat as our as our normal no. milfoil does can you talk it about does, that a little bit yep yep so it creates this really dense bed and it's in uh, it can be a good hiding place for small fish, um, which makes it harder for the larger fish to catch them. But sometimes that habitat is so dense that not even small fish can really get in there. So it's just pushed out all the native vegetation completely and has really destroyed the habitat that's needed for fish to hide and, and used for shelter and cover and food. Gotcha. So, yeah, yeah. So the large densities um, can cause a decline in the diversity and abundance of the plants. And um, because the dense canopies um, form at the water surface, it reduces the light penetration early in this for the plants that are growing early in the season. They're they're now shaded by the Eurasian water milfoil because I, I should back up the Eurasian water milfoil. It has been known to and will grow in the wintertime. It's very, very hardy. So if you're out there jigging in the wintertime on a lake that's got milfoil, 
make sure that your equipment is clean um, before you leave that lake. Um, sure. So, so it's got to start in the springtime, early in the spring, you're going to find it growing before all the native plants are growing. So it's growing up, up to the water surface, and thereby shading out the sunlight for the native plants. So it's really uh, impacting the native plants opportunity to get that start in the springtime. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now, sw- switching gears just a little bit, I mm-hmm. think when we look at lakes that are like super clear or, you know, the, the, oh, the water's so clear, I can see down 15 feet. We think that's probably the healthiest lake in the whole wide world. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when is that not the case? And, and what what could an invasive species have to do with that sort of situation? Yeah, yep. Yeah. So clear waters can be healthy water and murky, dark colored tea stained water can be very, very healthy. And every lake, as you know, has its own physical, chemical and biological factors that make up the water clarity. But clear water can also be like what I call sterile from zebra mussels um, in particular. So they're a problem because they filter water to a liter a day. So their filtering action may clear the water and the clear water, as you says, does not mean a healthy water. Now, a liter a day. And how big is a zebra yeah. mussel? Tiny. So look at your your pinky fingernail. That's kind of about the adult size of a zebra mussel. Oh, maybe they'll get as big as, um, not maybe, but some of the adults can get as big as um, like your middle finger fingernail. That Just is using so, so that much water size. for something so tiny. Yeah. Yeah. It's t- <laughs> they're very tiny. They're very tiny. You know, um, the young ones... Uh, the juveniles are called villagers. And when they're young in juvenile stages, the villagers are, are um, often the size of a grain of sand. Wow. So they're very easy to accidentally transport um, when we can't see them, you know, especially if we filled our live wells up with lake water that has uh, zebra mussels in it. So you might get some of those villagers that are stuck in your live well, or if you bring an anchor up and plunk it in your boat and you don't clean off that muck and debris on there, it could have a zebra mussel or a piece of Eurasian water milfoil in it. So if you take that dirty anchor to another lake and plunk it down in the lake, you're releasing whatever was in that anchor. Sure. Now with, with, the, with the zebra mussels, is it like so, if, if we did like a bleach and water sort of solution, does that mm-hmm. kind of kill them or it, what can, what can we yeah. do? I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah. yeah. So bleach water is the best. Okay. I think it's a 10 minute contact time with a water temp of 140 degrees will kill them as well. Okay. Um, so bleach solution, just a little bit of um, a bleach solution. I want to say like 2%. If you just put that in your live well and let it sit for a little bit and then just flush it out with clear water, you should be good. And then okay. as a, as a reassurance, um, just take uh, some paper towel or uh, rag and dry out that live well too. And especially around that drain hole, because a lot of the live wells, the drain hole is raised. It's not level with the bottom right. of the live well. So you may have a pool around that, that drain hole. So that's a okay. pain. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, it is. But I mean, it, it makes the live well work better, yeah. I guess. But at the same yeah. time, it, it can harbor some things you don't right. want to bring along with you. Right. Yeah. So so then the other problem is um, because they're filtering so much, they filter out a lot of the good algae, the plankton and the um, the phytoplankton that is. And the phytoplankton is eaten by the zooplankton and the zooplankton are eaten by the small foraging fish. So therefore, um if they're, if the zebra mussels eating that much food, they're taking away the base of the food chain as well as clearing up the water. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, now, another one that I know is is kind of a hot button for the Northwoods, especially, mm-hmm. is the spiny water flea. And I and I guess a lot of anglers don't know a whole lot about it or what right. it can do or really how it moves from one place to another because I know it's super super tiny. It so is. Kind yeah. Of educate us a little bit, a little bit on that spiny water yeah. flea. So the spiny water flea is this tiny little almost microscopic animal. It's a a zooplankton. So it lives in the water and it does impact our fisheries. It's a predatory zooplankton and it's got a very hungry appetite. It came here in the ballast water, was released in the Great Lakes, and now it's moving inland. So what they do is they eat the native plankton, um, Daphnia, which is their favorite actually. And Daphnia is an important food source for our native fish. And um, they eat the plankton at a faster rate than it can reproduce. So okay. they're really taking away that food source. So they, the spiny water fleas themselves do not provide a good food source for native fish or wildlife. And they've got this long tail spine that can make it difficult for the fish to eat them as well. Okay. Um, so they're asexual and um, they like colder water temperatures typically, but uh, during the spring and summer, they reproduce by cloning. And then in the fall, when the conditions of the lake are colder and when there's less food, they will reproduce sexually and produce through eggs that are resistant to drying and freezing. So females carry, yeah, females carry their eggs and young on their back. So because these eggs are resistant to drying and freezing. If you happen to leave a little bit of water in your live well, sitting in your boat for the winter time, you know, when it's in storage, um, it, there's a, a chance that maybe these eggs may hatch in the spring as soon as it warms up and hits the, the fresh water or so. But we need, to, we need to be very careful about there again, make sure that we do not transport any water at all. Get it wiped out of your boat, your gear, even wipe down your um, fishing line because they, are, like I said, they're so small and they've got these little tail spines. Um, they can uh, attach to your fishing line and those, those tail spines kind of make the spiny water fleas hook onto each other and when okay. their accumulate their accumulations get really big and they form this they form this big gelatinous blob with a texture of wet cotton so here you've got this big mass of spiny water fleas and then one problem that um, anglers have is anglers will often uh, hook a fish and try and reel it up and all of a sudden they've got this big gelatinous blob at the first eyelid on their fishing rod and that is a blob of spiny water fleas they're not easy yeah they're not easy to wipe off and i've heard anglers have had to actually cut their line and then retie it so in the meantime you've got a fish on a hook in the bottom of the lake that's in trouble so it's not a good thing and it's typically an angler that diagnoses them or not diagnosed but finds them in a lake and identifies them because they're frustrated with this big thing, gelatinous blob that they've never seen before. So they'll take it to the DNR and say, what is this? And so that's, that's exactly how the spiny water fleas were found in um, Trout Lake uh, up in Vilas County. So Vilas County has uh, several lakes, I think five water bodies with spiny water fleas and they're close to the Oneida County border. So we have to be really careful of what's coming downstream as well. 
Well, and you know, if you look at their name, they're all cute little spiny water flea. And now from, they from are what cool. I'm hearing from you, you uh-huh. we have a predatory cloning gelatinous blob Zoplan. <laughs> now that's some yeah. sci-fi right there. It is. That is <laughs> plus they've got one eye, not two, Becky. One. Oh my goodness. I can't <laughs> sleep tonight little, now. <laughs> I know. They've got these little antennas and they swim around in this little jerky motion. I mean, they're really cool, but you're right. It's some little sci-fi gig going on in our lakes now. That's cool. But we have to be careful because they will decline, uh, cause a decline of our fisheries and impact sure. the water quality. So, and absolutely, the, the smaller fish have problems eating them because of the the tail spines, the barbs on the tail spine. Larger fish do not have a problem with them at all. Okay. No, I know. Okay. Like the spiny water flea, that's kind of a hot button. Like you said, it's getting mm-hmm. close to Oneida County, but do you feel like there's anything in particular? And, and I watch a lot of the, um, the webinars, even from Michigan about things that, that, you know, it's, it's getting on the border. It's getting close. There, is there yeah. anything that we need to watch out for in the near future that maybe is not on the radar yet? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. So starry stonewort is one that's moving into Wisconsin kind of rapidly now. So that's a bushy, bright green microalgae, and it produces these um, little cool star-shaped bulbils. And this plant, though, well, this algae plant, it forms dense mats at the water surface, much like what Eurasian water milfoil does. Um, So so yeah, it really inhibits uh, water recreational activities and overtakes habitats and outcompetes native aquatic plants and potentially lowers the diversity of um, shelter and food and nesting habitat for animals too. Okay. So that's definitely one to look out for. Um, gotcha. Um, no, closer, no. closer to home though, Oneida County, I, I, I just want to make clear, Oneida County, as far as we know, does not have zebra mussels nor spiny water fleas. The closest, hey. the, yeah, <laughs> I know, the closest zebra mussel lake to Oneida County is Lake Matanga, which is over in Crandon in Forest County. They've had zebra mussels over there for a while now, and we want to keep them there. Right. Um, but, <laughs> but, but when you look at the map, Lake Matanga is really close, probably yeah, under 10 yeah. miles to it's Pelican right Lake. Yep. Yeah. To, yep. And I'm sure there's those transient anglers that go back and forth. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and one of the things just for, for the guys and girls listening that I, I did find out, there's a lot of different live well additives that we use. There's like a please release me and G juice. And, and I don't know about G juice, but I do know the one that I use, which is called catch and release that actually has a, a special additive in it to help kill zebra mussels. Becky, I've not heard of that before. You must just tell me more. <laughs> um, I, I guess that's really all I know is that there's, there's something okay. in there that can help kill them. So like if any time I would go to, let's say like Matanga or something, I would make sure to use that additive. And I, and I think, I think it might even be on their website that it does that versus some of the others. Like I said, the G juice, I don't know about, but I know the please release me doesn't have anything in it that would help that. So if anybody's looking for a, and I'm not sponsored by these guys, just so everyone knows. Yeah, right, <laughs> right, right. If anyone's looking for a live well additive, that's the one that I've always used. And basically for that reason, just because there's extra yeah. goodness in there, I guess. <laughs> I've got to check that out. So you, yeah, you should, like yeah. I said, it might actually be on their website too. So, mm-hmm. okay. 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 So, so other yeah. than that, as anglers, me, Joe Fisherman, Jane Fisherman, whoever I am, what, what can we do that can, that can make a difference? What, I mean, is there, mm-hmm. and is there anything with the emerging threats that we need to change the protocol or, or how we do it or? Nope. Everything is, the, everything is the same. So as soon as you get out of that lake, 
as soon as you tie up your boat, you know, get it strapped in, make sure that you look underneath it and all around your boat um, for anything that doesn't belong. If it doesn't belong, don't take it along. So look on the outside, look down in your prop, look way down in the propeller, get a flashlight out even and look down in there. And you know what? You'll be amazed at how much vegetation and, and uh, fishing line could be down there too. And Oh, absolutely. Like, I do that a lot. And I was like, wow, yeah. what is all it's that? Like, how do I all get in there? How does that get in there? And, and no wonder my boat was running crappy today. So. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so clean your boat, drain your live well, dry it out and just be as observant and uh, as you possibly can about things in your boat too. So, you know, like I'll be fishing and I, my, um, hook will come up with vegetation on it. And I just make sure I toss it out of the boat instead of into the carpet, but you know, you still wind up with lots of little fragment pieces of vegetation in your boat. It just happens. So make sure that you get that out because number one, once you get onto a roadway, it is illegal in Wisconsin to transport anything uh, in your boat and on your trailer and on your equipment. That is aquatic vegetation, aquatic debris, mud, sand, anything like that. So that's that's the main thing that we can do. So prevent further introductions and invasions of the non-native species. We need to quickly detect and respond to new populations of invasive species. So as anglers, if you see something that does not look right, you know, if you have a gelatinous blob that winds up on your fishing line, or if you're fishing close to somebody's dock and you're like, hey, is that an accumulation of zebra mussels that's on that person's boat lift or underside of his motor or something like that? You know, take pictures of it and give it to the DNR. Send it to the DNR. You can text him, you can email him, and you can call the DNR hotline because the sooner we get on top of these new invasions, the sooner we can get to some sort of rapid response process and plan implementation. Sure. And I, and I think that's important for guys to know, too. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, you're one person that handles AIS for a county with a, a, million whole, lot, a whole lot of lakes. <laughs> <laughs> and and mm-hmm. yeah, the DNR is there as well, but there's still a whole lot of lakes where, where people like us a lot of times, well, and you too, because you fish, but get to a mm-hmm. lake that that maybe I won't say isn't high priority, but isn't one that there's a lot of you know people looking at it. And if we see something that, and that was going to be one of my questions. How, what do, what do you, what does a person do if they're out and they're like, mm-hmm. I think that's a zebra mussel or I think that's your yeah. water milfoil or, or whatever it might be. So mm-hmm. call the DNR hotline. Okay. Um, because if you call the DNR hotline, they can see where you're at and, and well, the phone call is also anonymous. I should say that too, but they can see where the closest warden is at as well. So that warden. Oh, that's cool. So yeah. Yeah. The wardens will respond. They take aquatic invasive species very seriously. It's very high up on their management plan. So they take it very seriously. And they realize too, that in Oneida County, our economy is so dependent on healthy, clean water and that we do not have the spine. Yeah. We don't have the spinies and the zebras here and we're trying hard to keep them out. So, so they will respond and follow up and do their part. If somebody suspects something unusual, they can also give me a call or send me an email, send me pictures. It's really important to get pictures of whatever it is that you're seeing and a GPS location if you can, or else just kind of a general location. I was at this particular bay in Stax Bay, by Stax Bay Boat Landing or something like that, you know, whatever it is. So 
Okay. Now, yeah. if, if people aren't sure, is there, I mean, is there like an app or is there a place they can go to find out information about how to identify an invasive species? Or like mm-hmm. if I'm out on the water, like, I don't know what that is. So I take a picture of it, but is there a way for me to kind of get a clue? Yeah. So there are a couple of apps like iNaturalist. That's a good one. And then there's a couple of terrestrial apps too. But I think if you were to just Google like a Wisconsin DNR aquatic invasive species, that will bring you up to their AIS page. Um, okay. So dnr.wisconsin.gov under the topic of invasive species, that'll bring you up to AIS. And then there's lots of educational information on there too. And then our Oneida County Land and Water Conservation Department, I've got an AIS uh, section uh, tab, I should say, underneath our Oneida County Land and Water Conservation Department website. And that's oclw.org. Okay. stands for Oneida County Land Water Conservation.org. And then, like I said, you can always give me a call, send me pictures, and I can help you identify things as well. Cool. Now, now all over the state, there are, does every county have a county land and water shop for, for people to talk to? Like, say, if I'm yeah. in Lake Mendota, or I'm over on Winnebago, or I'm Mm-hmm. Yep. So every county has a land and water conservation department, but not every county has an aquatic invasive species program. Um, gotcha. Yeah. So a lot of a lot of counties don't even have to deal with AIS because they might be more agricultural based okay. and less lakes. But but for people in those particular counties, if there's not an AIS program within land and water conservation, that's when you would tap into the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources for okay. information. Sure, that makes sense. Okay, I don't think I have a whole lot of other questions. Like I said, just kind of wanted to get people thinking about and and maybe like we talked a little bit about about ice fishing too, but I think maybe people don't think about that. They think, oh, all I see is ice and snow and and whatever, and they don't realize that they can still you know be moving those aquatic invasives from one place to another on a lake or from one lake to another. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's something I think just people need to be aware of. They do. They certainly do. If you're ever ice fishing out on Hancock Lake in Oneida County, I can <laughs> guarantee that you're going to get a little piece of milfoil on your jig. Even the tiniest, smallest jig will come up with something. And it's just sure. amazing. And chances are it's that plant is somewhat green. It's just going to blow your mind. Yeah. So we have, so just don't toss your equipment with plants on it in your otter sled and walk away. Make sure that you leave that plant there at the lake where it belongs. And also, yeah, also um, with water. So bait buckets are notorious for transporting aquatic invasive species, especially some little things like we're talking about the spiny water fleas and the zebra mussel villagers. So, so for instance, if you're at Lake A, fishing for the day or ice fishing and you need to refresh your bait bucket with a lake water, as soon as you take in that lake water, you may not have realized that that lake had a specific invasive. So now that lake water that's contaminated is in your bait bucket. So so if you were to go to Lake B later that day and use that same bait bucket with that same water in it, and the minute you dump out any water or release a minnow from that bait bucket into Lake B, you are now potentially contaminating that lake with whatever invasive you got out of Lake A earlier that day. So it's important that we follow the regulations when you're dealing with live bait as well. So um, okay. make sure that if, if you're going to, to multiple lakes in one day that you get, if, if any part of that bait has touched water, whether it's a minnow that you used and stuck back in the bait bucket or refresh the water, you cannot reuse that in another lake. 
So go get okay. fresh bait. I know it's a problem, but get fresh bait. Yeah. yeah. Good to know. And, Good that, to know. and that goes for wintertime too. Anytime, okay. any well, time of year. And getting fresh bait is a smaller problem than you could potentially have Absolutely. by introducing an invasive. So yeah. yeah. Awesome. You know, you know, trying to get rid of these invasive species or at least maybe not getting rid of them, but managing them and reducing the, the volume of them is costing us millions of dollars. And, and I'll tell you, if your lake does not have a lake association, an established lake association, and you get a new invasive in there, like the raised water milfoil, that lake group does not qualify for rapid response grants to help treat and manage that, that invasive. Oh, sure. So, yep. so that's another plug for lake groups. If you're out there, make sure that you're qualified lake association, because it's really important. It's going to help you out in the future. A little bit of time and money right now is the huge proactive step for you guys. And then I will also plug in, if you've got time, become a clean boats, clean waters, watercraft inspector, which I know you are, Becky. Thank you and so much. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, because you guys, we are, as watercraft inspectors, the first line of defense at a boat landing for preventing the introduction and spread of aquatic invasive species. Absolutely. And, and I think, and it's, you know, in, in my limited time doing it, it's been my experience that if people know that something is, you know, is wrong or that they've done something that could cause an issue, they say, mm-hmm. oh, wait, wait, what, wait, can I learn more about that? You know, I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? You know, how, how does, how does me cleaning this weed off my trailer make life better mm-hmm. for the, <laughs> the world or, yeah. or whatever? Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's mostly just education. So, and letting it people is. know what's what, I guess, out there. Absolutely. Yep. Well, Steph, I thank you for your time and all the heaps of information that we've, we've doled out to people quite quickly, but, <laughs> but yeah, I just, I just wanted to, to make sure that, like I said, especially going into ice season, because we think about it a lot during, you know, during the open water season, but then all of a sudden hard water hits and mm-hmm. well, we just don't really think about invasives anymore, but, but yeah, well, th- thanks for, for yeah giving us and the one one on all that. You know what? It also goes for waterfall hunters as well, um, oh, sure. because sure, sure. they've got a great opportunity there to transport invasives, even on their dog. Their dog gets stuff stuck in their fur. Who knows what's in there? So yeah, and canoes and kayaks are not immune to transporting invasives either. So okay, well, Steph, I thank you for your time, and like I said, thanks for all the information, and it's been great talking to you. Thank you, Becky. I've enjoyed it. Have a good day. You thanks, too, everybody. Okay. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, and we'll see you next week on the Fish Like a Girl podcast.